This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. Two nations are getting on each other's nerves and diplomats are getting expelled. Ottawa accuses a Chinese diplomat of targeting a Canadian lawmaker who's critical of China's human rights records. Beijing retaliated on the other side, ousting a Canadian diplomat. The two nations have clashed since the detention of Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou in 2018 and Beijing's subsequent arrest of two Canadians on espionage charges. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China and Canada ousting each other's diplomats from their borders. Beijing expelled a Canadian diplomat in Shanghai on Tuesday. That's after Canada told a Toronto-based Chinese diplomat to leave the country. His departure comes amid rising fears about Chinese influence in Canada and worsening bilateral relations. Let's zoom in. On Tuesday, China's foreign ministry listed Jennifer Lin Lalonde of the Canadian consulate in Shanghai as persona non grata and asked her to leave China before Saturday. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbin said in a news briefing the move was justified and necessary and a countermeasure to Canada's unreasonable actions. The move came after Canada on Monday expelled Chinese diplomat Zhao Wei. Canada alleged Zhao, who was based in Toronto, of foreign interference. He was accused of targeting Canadian MP Michael Chong, a conservative lawmaker and critic of China's treatment of its Uyghur Muslim minority. Canadian spy agencies authored a report in 2021 warning of potential threats to Chong and his Hong Kong-based family. Chong praised Zhao's expulsion on Monday but said it came late. It shouldn't have taken uh, two years for the government to make this decision when they became aware uh, that members and their families of the House of Commons were being targeted by uh, the PRC and by persons in Canada accredited by the government of Canada as diplomats in uh, Canada. China's Toronto Consulate General said the report on Chong has no factual basis and is purely baseless. The latest tit-for-tat expulsions raise already high diplomatic tensions. Canada and China have clashed since the detention of Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou in 2018 and Beijing's subsequent arrest of two Canadians for spying. Since then, Canadian media citing unnamed intelligence sources have reported on alleged schemes run by the Chinese government to interfere in Canada's last two elections, prompting Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to appoint an independent special investigator to probe those allegations. Based on analysis by the Epoch Times, Toronto-based Chinese diplomat Zhao Wei actively participated in functions held by certain Canadian organizations. Those groups are said to share a pro-Chinese Communist Party stance. In a report by the Globe and Mail, a national security source described Zhao as a suspected intelligence actor. Beijing taking aim at foreign consulting firms and its latest decision are sending a chill to the business community in China. Chinese authorities raided the offices of an American consulting firm called Capvision on Monday. Authorities inspected the company's offices in Shanghai, Beijing, Suzhou and Shenzhen. They questioned employees and took photos of servers and hard drives of this prominent international company. Here's the full story. Chinese state media saying the nationwide campaign aims to clean up China's consulting industry. 
Chinese media reports accuse Capvision of tapping officials for sensitive information to help its clients. The raid comes after China revised its sweeping anti-espionage law. The update broadened the scope of what the Chinese regime considers espionage, but it didn't outline where the boundary is between espionage and normal information collecting in business. Two weeks ago, U.S. consulting giant Bain & Company said Chinese police questioned staff in its Shanghai office. That's one month after another U.S. firm, Mintz, saw a similar incident. The company's Beijing office was raided and shut down, with five employees detained at the time. All of them are Chinese nationals. Chinese authorities accused the due diligence firm of illegal information gathering. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce warned last month that the risks of doing business in China are on the rise due to Beijing's growing scrutiny on American companies. Capvision has headquarters both in New York and Shanghai. The company specializes in connecting experts with clients. Over 70% of its employees are based in China. Beijing's new anti-spy law is set to take effect in July. It covers a broad lineup of information transfer methods that Beijing now deems relevant to its national security. We spoke to some Chinese experts for their take on the issue. Commenting on the amendments, rights lawyer Wu Xiaoping warned of what he called an era of red terror in communist China. After years of repression at home, Beijing is gradually pushing its repression toward the outside world with illegal corpus on so-called national security. The amendments came amid a series of high-profile cases involving foreign executives and international companies. Last month, authorities in Beijing raided a local office belonging to U.S. due diligence company Mintz Group. Five staff members were arrested. Over in Shanghai, police questioned employees of U.S. consulting firm Bain & Company. An earlier arrest concerned an executive of Japanese drug maker Astellas Pharma. Speaking to a D.C. think tank, U.S. ambassador to China Nicholas Burns calls the law an intimidation. He said it can make routine business, like due diligence, illegal. But why is China acting so aggressively while it continues trying to woo back foreign investors on the other end? The most notable trait of Xi's reign is that he puts security ahead of so-called development. The Chinese Communist Party isn't afraid. It believes that Western companies still have to rely on China's big markets if they want to make money. On top of a potentially chilling effect on foreign investment, the new law could lead to further clampdowns on dissidents. Wu said Beijing can now name any foreign group or individual as a spy and interpret actions at will. That's very scary. For people inside China, simply a cup of tea or a chat with someone from a foreign organization or diplomatic envoy, or even a person of foreign nationality, could be seen as an act of espionage. Under the new law, all documents, data, files and objectives could be tied to spying activities. That could spell risk for media coverage, lawyers and others, like international groups looking into human rights situations in China. For instance, if human rights activists collect evidence of corruption or lawlessness, they could be detained for possessing or using spying equipment. In China, espionage cases are usually tried behind closed doors. A commentator said the law serves as a handy weapon for Beijing to dispose of its enemies. Whenever it comes to so-called espionage, there's no legal procedures, no public hearings in China, and no way for the outside world to learn about the situation. In one example, Beijing held two Canadians for nearly three years on espionage charges. 
The 2018 arrest came after Ottawa detained Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. That was on a U.S. warrant over the company's dealings in Iran. Florida seems to be zeroing in on the Chinese Communist Party. Governor Ron DeSantis signed three bills Monday, all of them designed to counteract Beijing's influence in the state. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on what the new laws mean for Florida. The first bill addressed buying property in the Sunshine State. It limits purchases of farmland and land near military bases and critical infrastructure by any CCP-related entities. Our food security is also national security. And so we don't want the CCP in charge of, of any of the food production. Next up is education. The Florida governor says it is essential to root out the CCP influence in Florida's education system. According to DeSantis, the Chinese regime has done an effective job at identifying the soft underbelly of American society. And they've been able to expand their influence in academia tremendously. Part of the reason because they're throwing a lot of money around. And so in Florida, we say not here, not on our watch. The new law will prohibit state colleges and universities from accepting any gifts or grants from the CCP. DeSantis says the steps will stop any CCP influence in Florida from grade school to grad school. A third law addresses CCP-affiliated apps and aims to protect digital data from Chinese spies. Whatever utility that these applications have is clearly outweighed by the benefit that the CCP gets from data mining and being able to, uh, to collect information. Schools and government offices will have to block access to prohibited applications on their servers. Governor DeSantis says these new laws follow through on Florida's commitment to crack down on communist China. House Minority Leader Fentrice Driscoll called the bill addressing land purchases overly broad. She warned it could result in lawsuits by veering into the area of national origin discrimination. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Now we turn our attention to the Indo-Pacific region. Taiwan officials say they're in talks with the U.S. over a $500 million weapons package. And there's a big difference between this deal and earlier weapons sales to the island. Let's take a closer look. Taiwan's defense minister said on Monday that Taiwan is in talks with the Biden administration about a fast-tracked $500 million weapons package from the U.S. The talks began this January. The defense minister told Taiwanese lawmakers the focus of the deal is sending weapons to Taiwan from the U.S.'s existing stockpiles. This is to make up for previous delays. The military package is not counted into previous arms sales, and Taiwan would be asking for weapons it deems as its priorities. In the 2023 budget, Congress authorized up to $1 billion worth of weapons aid for Taiwan. Biden can use presidential drawdown authority to transfer arms and services from U.S. stockpiles without congressional approval each time. Since the war in Ukraine, Taiwan has been complaining of delays in the delivery of weapons purchased from the U.S., but that could be changing soon. Taiwan's defense ministry said last week the U.S. will be delivering the high-mobility artillery rocket systems ahead of schedule in 2026. Certain Western nations are withdrawing from China. Over the last two years, at least eight Dutch cities and two provinces have split from their Chinese sister cities. The term sister cities defines a long-term partnership between two cities in two different countries, mainly focused on trade and culture exchange. 
the Netherlands isn't the only nation skeptical of these strategic partnerships with China. Some U.S. lawmakers fear sister cities could enable Beijing to infiltrate the U.S. and further advance its economic goals. In April, U.S. Senator Tom Tillis introduced a Sister City Transparency Act, which calls for the creation of a government accountability office. The office would review sister city partnerships in the U.S., especially with China. Tillis said that the bill seeks to protect cities from any potential threat of espionage the Chinese Communist Party may impose. As of 2019, the U.S. had 157 sister city partnerships with China. That includes New York with Fuzhou, Washington, D.C. with Beijing, Los Angeles with Guangzhou, Chicago with Shanghai, and Boston with Hangzhou. A Chinese spacecraft returned to Earth Monday following an over nine-month orbit. Chinese state media says its trip marks an important breakthrough for China's reusable spacecraft technology and that it would make future space missions less expensive. Authorities haven't given any details about the spacecraft, like what technology it uses, how high it flew, and where its orbits had taken it. Some experts speculate that the craft could be used to gather intelligence or monitor sensitive areas. Adding Beijing could also use the craft to send small satellites or sensors into space. Coming up, Salih Hudayar, Prime Minister of East Turkestan government in exile, speaks about his personal experiences with transnational repression by Beijing. He also shares his perspective on President Biden's response to solar panel import tariffs. Let's switch the roles around for a second, hypothetically. Would we as Americans, you know, would, would we as Americans, if we're Americans being forced to you know, you, to make these slave labor products, to make these solar panels. Would we be happy if some country across the world was, you know, saying, oh, we're going to be tough on human rights, but, you know, we're going to continue and accept this uh, uh, slave labor that was produced by American slave labor, uh, a solar panel that was produced by American slave labor, even though we're going to, we claim to be tough on human rights. And the slave labor concerns in the industry. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Chinese police stations in the West and President Biden's promise to veto tariffs on solar panels entering the country. These issues are two of the most trending topics related to China right now. We spoke to Salih Hudayar, Prime Minister of East Turkestan government in exile, about his personal experience with transnational repression and how he views human rights and climate arguments related to President Biden's decision. To clarify, East Turkestan is the name the Uyghur ethnic group uses for its homeland. In China, the same area is known as Xinjiang. Prime Minister Salih Hudayar, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me back. Recently, there's been a lot of news about these overseas Chinese police stations operating in the U.S. One in New York was shut down, but one of the concerns around it is transnational repression. So in terms of that, do you have any examples of that in practice? So in my own experience, uh, you know, before, as soon as I started publicly, uh, you know, advocating for uh, East Turkestan, um, and as people um, advocating for the recognition of the Uyghur genocide, uh, I've started receiving, you know, a lot of anonymous, you know, initial threats uh, on social media. Um, then it turned into phone calls and even letters. 
then it even turned into some Uyghurs uh, who later upon we realized had, uh, you know, connections to uh, CCP and PRC entities, uh, you know, threatening me in person or trying to buy me off. Um, and once that failed, then they tried to, you know, even weaponize the U.S. justice system by, uh, you know, making false complaints stating, you know, that I threatened them or these things, uh, stuff like that in order to, you know, stop my activism uh, and to, you know, character assassination. Luckily, they failed and the U.S. government, you know, soon realized that this was, a, a, you know, a game. So there's instances like that, um, you know, even with the Falun Gong, uh, you know, what's most common is the fact that, you know, they're constantly harassed uh, by Chinese, you know, uh, operatives here in the United States or, you know, they'll receive, you know, threatening calls uh, or calls from, you know, their family members, you know, crying and telling them to stop what they're doing because this is how the uh, Chinese government, uh, the CCP operates by holding your own family members captive and using them um, against you to, to try to silence you. Zooming in on, say, U.S.-China relations, it seems recently the U.S. House of Representatives wanted to restore some tariffs on solar panel imports. These are coming from Malaysia, Cambodia, Thailand, and Vietnam. But those facilities are owned by China, and they account for 80% of the imports of solar panels into the U.S. And in terms of that, it seems there's a lot of concerns with human rights and slave labor, since most of this comes from Xinjiang or East Turkestan. What do you know about that? Well, so starting in 2014, when China rolled out its concentration camps, uh, solar uh, polysilicon production or solar panel production in East Turkestan, uh, you know, amounted for not even 9% of global, you know, production. Uh, by 2019, it went over to over 50%. And uh, I think as of 2022, it's somewhere around 60%. Um, so there's no doubt that the solar panels that are being manufactured in China or by Chinese factories that are being manufactured in, in third countries to evade, you know, for example, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act uh, is being tainted by, uh, you know, uh, components that are made with uh, forced labor. And this is something that needs to be pushed back against. Um, it's, you know, I, I, we welcome the U.S. Senate. It was actually the U.S. Senate's uh, committee uh, who uh, put, uh, uh, passed this legislation to uh, impose tariffs. Um, I think it needs to be beyond tariffs. I think we need to ban all, you know, solar panel products uh, that are made in China or made in, you know, other countries by Chinese companies um, or less will be, you know, complicit in, you know, the uh, forced labor of Uyghur, Falun Gong and other peoples. And Prime Minister, as you mentioned, right, one of this is a way of getting around that forced Uyghur prevention law that is law in the U.S. But instead, you're seeing, I think, still forced labor made solar panels, but ending up in these other countries that then make their way into the U.S. And in terms of these tariffs being waived from these countries, President Biden said he will veto it if it gets to his desk. What are your comments on that? Well, I mean, if, if President Biden is going to, uh, from my understanding, what they're trying to do is waive the uh, tariffs on these um, solar panels. Uh, I think, as I stated, they need to completely ban all solar panels that are made from, you know, made either directly in China or uh, outside of China by Chinese owned companies. Um, President Biden needs to be more tough on China, as he promised, you know, 
uh, from the beginning he, he promised to uphold human rights and he needs to act upon his promises. And on that note, it seems in terms of just solar panels themselves, the whole argument there is, oh, the U.S. needs them to fulfill its goals of renewable energy and meet all these different goals in terms of climate change. What is your comment on that? Well, there's not, it's not going to be beneficial to the United States or any country if they are, you know, we're talking about uh, we want to engage in climate change um, cooperation with China. How can you cooperate with a country that's engaging in genocide, that's engaging in mass human rights violations, atrocities across the board against all of its uh, of its people, let alone the people of East Turkestan or Tibet or the Falun Gong? Uh, so these are uh, completely unacceptable, I think. And I think that the United States government needs to make it clear that, you know, we're not going to cooperate with you on anything unless you address these issues first. Human rights should be a priority or else how are we going to benefit from the solar panels uh, that are made with slave labor um, when, if anything, we have, will have been contributing to that slave labor? Um, let's switch the roles around for a second, hypothetically. Would we as Americans, you know, would, would we as Americans, if we are Americans being forced to, you know, use, to make these slave labor products, to make these solar panels, would we be happy if some country across the world was, you know, saying, oh, we're going to be tough on human rights, but, you know, we're going to continue and accept this uh, uh, slave labor that was produced by American slave labor. Uh, a solar panel that was produced by American slave labor, even though we're going to, we, we claim to be tough on human rights. Prime Minister, with all the areas covered today, any final thoughts you'd like to share? Um, I think uh, these are all issues, especially the issue of, you know, uh, Chinese transnational repression. This needs to be uh, dealt with, you know, uh, swiftly. Um, we, we can't continue to delay and let the Chinese government, you know, undermine. Essentially, they're undermining the United States sovereignty by, you know, uh, attacking, uh, you know, engaging in transnational repression uh, against American citizens, against American, you know, residents. Um, so this is totally unacceptable. And I think the United States needs to make that clear. I think they need to make it very clear, you know, by following Canada's recent example by, you know, expelling uh, some Chinese diplomats that have uh, direct connections uh, to, to these cases. As you said, actions speak louder than words. And Prime Minister Saleh Hudayar, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.